Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, let me encourage you, please, to turn in your Bibles to um, Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. We're going to read several verses today. It's a long passage, but I'm encouraging you here in the sanctuary and those Uh, who are the rest of our church family worshiping in the Family Life Center right now to turn in your Bibles as well to Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 20. As you're turning there, let me take just a moment, uh, a couple of uh, pastoral notes, uh, program notes here. First of all, it's time to stop preaching about the flood, wouldn't you say? (laughs) This rain, oh, but you, oh, Welcome being here, right, on a Sunday in which it's not only wet and and sloppy outside, uh, but you lost an hour, and I'm grateful you came here to look for it. Maybe we'll find it together today. I I advocate this. I was in a conversation with someone during the Sunday school hour about this. I think think I've got a good idea. We need to either completely get rid of this whole time change thing, right? Yeah? All right. Um, Or... Or if we have to do it, let's do it on Friday, <laughs> right? Spoken like a pastor, right? You know, but I'm so grateful that you're here and that you are here and grateful for those tuning in. Um, and before we turn to the scripture, we as a family of faith, we want to honor uh, some special moments as they come along. And do you know, I have word that Mary Martin is with us today. Is she with us in this room somewhere? Where are you, Mary? Okay. Where are you? Okay. Mary, would you stand up for just a moment? Um, not very tall. <laughs> okay, so, so you are standing up. Okay. All right. All right. Mary, listen. To, uh, this, this Tuesday, Mary... We'll celebrate. She's a long-term JCBC member, First Baptist Church Shamley, JCBC, long-term member, and she will celebrate her 99th birthday on Tuesday. <laughs> yes. God bless you, Mary, for your life and your faith that is made part of who we are, who we are. So I'm so thankful you get to be with us today and we honor that moment this week. Happy birthday. Now, uh, if we'll turn uh, to Genesis chapter 8, uh, and let's offer uh, these words as they are the subject of our study today. Genesis 8, verse 20. Now, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and of every clean bird took off every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelt the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, 
I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done, as long as the earth endures seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summers and winter, day and night. <laughs> Daylight savings time and standard time shall not cease. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you shall rest on every animal and of the earth and on every bird of the air, on everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. In your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, and just as I gave you green plants, I give you everything. Only you shall not eat of the flesh with its life, that is, its, its blood. For your own lifeblood I shall surely require a reckoning. From every animal I will require it, and from human beings, each one for the blood of another. I will require a reckoning for human life. Whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human shall that person's blood be shed. For in his image, in his own image, God made humankind. And you be fruitful and multiply. Abound on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, as for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living domestic animal and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign, a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between you and me and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. And this is the reading of the sacred word. It's reliable and it can be trusted. Let's pray together. God, even now as we have opened up the pages of your sacred word, we recognize that it takes far more than opening up a book for our hearts to be transformed. We pray that your spirit would open up our minds, that your presence would open up our soul so that the book becomes more than a book. It becomes sacred, holy wisdom. 
and we may be transformed by its truth. So we've brought into this place, Heavenly Father, so many burdens and anxieties and thoughts and plans and hopes and hurts. We've brought all of it here before you. And we've done that on purpose, maybe. Sometimes we bring it before you deliberately, other times just by accident, but here we are in the midst of worship, laying before you everything that's in us, everything we're proud of and everything that we wish we could hide from you. And we lay it before you as an offering. And we pray that in the vulnerability of this moment, as we open our minds and hearts before you, your spirit would do what only your spirit can do. Change us. For we are listening in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So today, after this very long passage, we recognize that we have come to the end of the flood narratives. Now, during these last several weeks, we've been in an in-depth study in the, uh, the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. But as we have said throughout this journey, the flood stories, or the flood story, makes up the culminating uh, content. It is the apex. It is the, the, the place to which everything has been moving. It is the place from which everything else cascades away. These three plus chapters... Because as we back up the story and recognize what's happening in Genesis 1 through 11, we have said for these several weeks, it's different Bible. It's not pretending to be science. It's not pretending to be history. It's, 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 it's attempting to be a theology book, a book of truths intended to stoke and provoke the soul into faith. And we've been listening to these images and these, these, these stories that emerge out of what we have said was a time of great suffering. These stories emerged in 6th century B.C. when the people of Israel were in exile, in chaos. And the world in which they lived had collapsed around them. And there emerges these, these truth stories about how God once looked over the chaos and began to blow God's wind, God's ruach, God's spirit over the chaos. And, and the chaos waters began to separate. And earth began to appear. And he brought order out of chaos and established existence in a way that was intended to be beautiful. <laughs> that existence was intended to, to look and act and be like God. That created in God's own image, we too were intended to live as the Father, Son, and Spirit live mutually in love and in service and submission to one another, concerned with matters of equity and grace and mercy and compassion and love. And the first two chapters of Genesis, well, it, it chronicles these gorgeous stories of creation of how that began. And chapter 3 comes and it begins to all unravel. 
and we take from trees we are not meant to consume and we live outside the boundary freedom that had been given to us and then we watch chapters 4 and 5 and part of 6 demonstrate this kind of spiral in which humankind and our human experience begins to spiral further and further down and away from the original image in which God intended this life to exist until we reach Genesis 6 verse 5 and we hear that tragic verse that the inclinations of every human heart were on evil continually and we see that it grieves the heart of God and God in that verse steps out to look over all that God has created and very different than chapter 1 when he stepped out and looked over all he created and said oh it's very good in this chapter and verse he looks over and says this is bad this is not what was intended. And he begins the process of the great undo. Of uncreating the world. And then waters of chaos return. And then we watch in chapter 6 and 7 and part, most of 8, Noah is floating there for more than a year from start to finish, that is, he, he is in the midst of this event called the flood. And we watch him floating and we recognize that he's there as a part of a rescue mission. God was attempting to not simply destroy the world, but because God was able to instruct Noah to create an ark, it was as if he was repotting the soil of Eden itself on a floating pot to be reestablished in God's new creation. So with Noah, he's a kind of second Adam. With the ark and all that comes out of it in just a few moments, there's a kind of new creation. And God is attempting to redo it all over again. And last week we ended with Noah stepping out of the ark, the great disembarkation. And today we picked up that passage to discover what was the very first thing that happened after he got out of the ark. Well, today, to move us through this text that we have just read, I want us to think of three movements. First things first. Last things last. And somewhere over the rainbow. First things first. Last things last. Somewhere over the rainbow, first things first. So there was a man who was just an ace at this game show, and he had been winning all week long. He got every trivia question right. So now he comes to the last question. The episode is coming to a close, and he chooses the category for the next night. And he chooses American history. It's his favorite category and he tells the guy, the MC, I'll do American history. And if he gets this one right, he goes home with $64,000. The next day he comes and uh, there's great excitement. He's very confident because he's going he's gonna to get this one. He hasn't missed a single question all week. The MC says, are you ready? You've picked the category and we've got the question. And this question has two parts to it, like normal. But sometimes when we have a two-part question, previous contestants have chosen to answer the second part first and then go back and answer the first. And that's fine with us. You can answer the first part or the second part, either one. Um, but, but which do you choose? Well, now 
he's beginning to get a little nervous. What if I don't remember everything? What, maybe I should go the easy way out. And so he says, I'll take the second part first. And the MC, the lights go down, the light is right on him. And okay, here is your question. In what year did it happen? Yeah, so thanks, I'll be here all week. Sometimes it pays to put first things first. We're told in Scripture that on day one when Noah disembarks, we're told exactly what the very first thing was that Noah chose to do. It reads this way in the text. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The very first action in this new creation. From this very new humanity, if, if Noah is symbolizing all that is the new human, the very first action of the new human in God's new creation was worship. Very different than the first creation and the first humans because in the first creation and the first humans, the first action was sin. But there are some waters that change everything. Noah had been through the flood and he had spent the last year being rescued by the mercies and, the, and by the graces of God and, and began to recognize somewhere around the end of that great event that were it not for the goodness of God's rescue he would be overwhelmed by the flood that had taken over the world. He was in very real terms living out uh, the, the words of the prophet who said these words, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you for I am the Lord your God. Do you realize that when you've been through the flood, and recognize the rescue of God that sustains you through that flood, it tends to put first things first. I don't think that there is any greater or more authentic form of worship than the kind that comes out of a human heart when that human looks back over his or her life and recognizes, oh my gosh, if it weren't for you then, and if it weren't for you there, and if, you, uh, and if it wasn't for you saving me from my own destruction here, I would be underwater. So this past week, I had a kind of moment in worship, um, and none of you were there. <laughs> it was in my office, uh, you know, after I finished this doctorate. It's allowed me some time to go, and I'm doing a purge in my office. I'm getting rid of all my junk. I'm throwing away old papers and, and, and cleaning out and getting a little bit more organized. I threw away like 70 books on, on this past week, going through things. And you're like, well, why don't you just give them to me? Because I don't want anybody reading these books. They're just Some books you just got to get rid of, right? 
And I'm going through and I'm purging all my library, getting organized. And do you know what I found? I found, I have not seen or gone through these in a long time. These are, um, these are some of my old journals. And I started it when I was a senior in high school with uh, this one here. And I look back over what I was writing as a senior in high school. And then I look back over what happened after that through college. And then I looked about what happened after I got married. And then I wrote about what happened when I became a father. And I'm telling you, I'm looking through this, and it's, it's page upon page upon page of struggle and joy and celebration and fear and now, so many years later, looking back, I'm in the office by myself. The door is closed, thank goodness, because there are tears streaming down my face. And I don't cry. That was a joke. Because I'm looking, if it weren't for you here, and oh, I had forgotten all about that there. And oh, I could even feel the kind of flutter of, of fear and worry there. And yet you brought me through and and when we stop long enough to consider how far the Lord has brought any of us the very first thing that we ought to to do is say thank you Lord for putting air in my lungs for giving me a beating heart in my chest for waking up in order to take another crack at this thing that I call life, thank you, God. And this two weeks ago, I saw this in place, you know. We were having our night of worship in the Family Life Center. And it was just an amazing, amazing night of worship. And, and from where I'm standing, I'm looking over, and I see about three rows of our students, JCBC students. And by the end of that hour of worship, I'm telling you, and I'm telling you students, I was moved because something was happening in them. And, and, and many of them, their, their hands were being lifted, their eyes were closed, and they were singing with all that was in them. Because by the time you reach 14, 15, 16, 17, you know something about the waters of flood. In this ever-changing world in which we live, our students, who we sometimes assume haven't started life because they're so young, have done more life by the time they graduate than I did in two of these books. And I'm telling you, I'm watching them worship, and it occurs to me, something's going on. They are already beginning to recognize that God is the one, and there is no other, who is able to bring them through the thing they're going through, whatever that thing may be. And then I look past them as they're worshiping, and just past them, beyond, and kind of the background. You know who I see? I see our brothers from No Longer Bound who have come to worship. And their hands are in the air and their eyes are closed and some of them have tears and they are singing with all their hearts because they absolutely know what it's like to have been brought through the water, some of whom are still being brought through the water. And, and we're singing and the most, the most powerful moment is this song called What a Wonderful Name. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, our God reigns yours is the kingdom yours is the glory yours is the name that is above all names how wonderful the name of Jesus right 
When you are able to stop long enough from the toing and the froing and the busyness of this life to stop and look back at the empty ark that brought you through, the first thing it ought to arouse in your heart is worship. First things first. And what's amazing about this is he comes out and the text says that he took from every clean animal and every clean bird. Well, there weren't that many of them. Which means that even in what little bit he had, he was so overwhelmed with gratitude that he said, even though there's just a little bit, it's, it's worth it because I will sacrifice what little I have to demonstrate to you what great rescue means to me. What are you doing with your rescue? What are you doing with your rescue? What is the first thing above all things that you're attempting to do? To demonstrate your gratitude for the rescue that God is constantly creating for your life. First things first. Last things last. Now I want you to hear that phrase a little differently. Not as the opposite of first things first, but rather the last things are the ones that last. Last things, well, they, they last. I think about people whom I have loved and, and have, have watched leave this world and go on to be with the Lord. And, I, and there are moments when you think about loved ones who you have seen pass on. And, and if the images of those last few days, weeks, are difficult, sometimes it's hard for those images to leave you, isn't it? It's difficult because sometimes, as I say, it's the last things that last. The last thing that God saw when God looked at the end of this flood experience, the last thing God saw was Noah coming out of the ark, having just endured the cataclysmic experience of the flood. And God watches him worship. And the beauty is that he was not even instructed to worship. Noah was not commanded to worship. He was not coerced to, to worship. He, he, he was not instructed, you must do this upon exiting. The, 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 he chose to find rocks and build an altar. Before we choose where we're going to live, before we decide how to hunt or plant a garden or survive for ourselves, before we do anything else, we will build an altar. And God is watching this uncoerced worship that comes freely out of the gratitude of Noah's heart. And it moves God's heart so much so that in the Hebrew text it says something changes in God. There is this recurring phrase that goes on and on through the chapters that we just read or the verses that we just read. The recurring phrase is never again, never again. Right? It reads this way in the verses. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. In verse 9, 11, I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. 
In verse 15 we read, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Don't forget that just a few verses ago, God had come to the edge of all that God had created and said this was a bad idea. I'm going to undo everything. I changed my mind. Remember two weeks ago, I changed my mind. The Hebrew word is the same word for repent. I repent. I changed my mind in what I thought of humankind, and I'm going to undo it all. And here he sees something that is so effective in the heart of God. He proclaims, never Again, he goes again and again. He says, never again will I curse the ground. Never again will I destroy every living creature. Never again shall I, all flesh be cut off. Never again shall there be a flood to cover the earth. Never again will a flood destroy all flesh. Five times in 17 short verses, never again, never again, never again, never again, never again. Why? Because of what he saw in a moment of authentic unfettered, unrestrained worship before God. When you worship, after you've come out of the flood and you barely make it alive, when you choose to make the very first thing that you do each day a demonstration of your great gratefulness to God, it moves the heart of God. It moves the heart of God. It's the thing that lasts. Can I ask you, what, what, is the, what is the lasting impact of the thing that you will leave last? For Noah, the lasting impact was, hey, this thing is over. Before I do another thing, I'm going to demonstrate that I belong to you. <laughs> I submit my life to your authority. I yield my life to your way. But what will be the lasting impact of of your choices because none of us ever know when our next breath is our last breath none of us ever know when our, the last word we speak is our last word the last thought the last action and we never know when the next thing that we choose to do will be the the last time we choose to do those things what do you want your lasting impact to be on those around you but primarily in the heart of God because last things last and finally somewhere over the rainbow by the way Glenn I picked up what you were putting down in the prelude a little earlier that was nice that was nice somewhere over the rainbow this may be the most familiar part of this entire story. It's what we teach our kids, right? That God loved the world and put a rainbow in the sky to remind us that God will always be with us and protect us. And that's, that's what we teach our, our, our kids. And, and the text comes to us this way. God said this. Well, it's a sign of the covenant that I make. I, not you. I make between me and you and every creature that is with you. For all generations, I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds 
I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh when the bow is in the clouds. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. In ancient Mesopotamia, it was thought that rainbows were the weapons of warfare by the gods. And that lightning bolts were their arrows because deities had it out for the created order. And we're attempting to make war on humankind all the time. But in the story of Noah, there's a twist, as there always is in good news. The bow is hung upside down, hung up in the sky, as if to say, I no longer make war against what I have made. Now, we have a, a couple. Are the riches, are you here today? Uh, David and Anita? Right in the, I see you. I see you. I see your silhouettes. David and Anita Rich uh, were in Iraq last week. Uh, was it last week? Yeah. And uh, doing medical missions, you know, in Iraq, as you do, you know. And on their way back, they took some amazing pictures on the air, on the flight, on the way, on the way home. Here's one of the pictures. It's a picture of what is known as the pilot's glory, or just the glory. Uh, it's also named the anti-corona or the, uh, uh, the pilot's bow. It's a phenomenon, if you can see it, it's a phenomenon of uh, when the sun is behind you and, and the clouds are in front of you and your shadow is on the clouds and the moisture and the clouds and the atmospheric conditions create a phenomenon that gives the appearance as if a bow completely circle, encircles you or your aircraft. You just, just take a look at it there. It's beautiful, really. It's called the pilot's bow. Interesting thing about the pilot's bow, it requires a couple of things. It has nothing to do with anything that the airplane is doing, I want you to hang on to that truth. It, the airplane is just flying and there's a shadow on the clouds below. It has nothing to do with what the airplane does. The glory, as it's called, simply requires the presence of clouds and the position of the sun. The presence of clouds and the position of of the sun, do you know that Noah did nothing, nothing to establish a bow in the clouds? It was God's initiative, but here's the beauty of the story. Even in this new creation where God has undone everything and decided to redo it all over again, in this new humanity and this new creation that he is establishing, there's still clouds. What? Still clouds. Even in the new creation, which is required for bows to be seen, even in your redeemed life, there will be clouds. And clouds symbolize the possibility of storm. But the bow represents God's restraint 
from allowing what is in the clouds to overwhelm you? Have you thought lately about what it means there are still clouds in your life and they won't clear up. There's clouds outside today and it won't seem to go away, but you can't see the bow without the clouds. The bow is a reminder that in the midst of the clouds and beneath the clouds and around the clouds and over the clouds, there is one who is determined to bring about life in you and to not overwhelm you. We hear these words in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, For surely I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not your harm, to give you a future with hope. Or maybe even better yet, Psalm 8, we read these words, talk about glory, right? When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars and, and all that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? What are mortals that you care for them? And yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. I don't know if you can see it, but there is a bow of God's promise encircling your heart. I know that there are days when all that you can see are the clouds that are over your head. But I'm telling you, there is one who is above the clouds whose presence and posture and position make it possible for you to be protected in the midst of the worst storm. You are loved by God. And maybe you came here today and the only thing that you need to hear is that God is, God is not trying to destroy you. Because we go through experiences where without any help, without any instruction, without the word of God to help us interpret it, we look at the circumstances of our lives and assume that God has got God's bow drawn back, ready to release the next arrow of affliction into my gut. But the bow story is to say, no, 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 God is not out to get you. God is out to get you. God is out to get you into the trustworthy arms of his love. Let us pray. God, we stop for just a moment to recognize that you have brought and you are bringing so many of us through the waters of destruction and flood. Some have come out on the other side already and we are ready to put first things first and build an altar and tell you that there is no name like your name. We're ready to do that. Others are still in the midst of the water. And the rain is still falling. And the waters are still rising. Show somebody today that it's because of your everlasting covenant that the waters will not overwhelm them. Show us what it looks like to understand that there are clouds all about, but your holy presence all within. And may that truth transform somebody today. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord of life.